Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. Some people can't serve God because they love to be liked so much. They would rather you like them than you love God. They love to be loved so much by you that even though they know that you're going to hell, even though they know that that, that the behavior that you're exhibiting is destructive, they won't dare say it to you because it might make you mad at them. Even though the lifestyle you're living has you in enmity with God, but they won't say anything because they love to be liked so much. Don't be like that. Don't love yourself so much. Don't love to be liked so much that you won't speak truth and you won't be helpful to people that need it. Would you say that you're a people pleaser? While there's nothing wrong with going out of your way to serve others and build a good reputation, it's important you don't let it keep you from speaking truth. As Pastor Bill would teach you in his message today, speaking the truth can stir tensions, but you're no less called to do so. In his study, you'll learn the importance of prioritizing truth over comfort when it comes to sharing with others, especially the lost. Have you catered to comfort over truth? Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Titus chapter 1 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. People should trust you. Now, people know you well and don't trust you. That's a concern. That's, that says something about it. the more they know you, the less they trust. That's worrisome. You know, we want to be trustworthy people. That, that character should be ours as believers. So again, to Titus, a true son in our common faith, Paul, we, we believe the same thing. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. And just this is all of his intro ends right here. But this is what he said. This is what's coming from God. Grace, mercy, peace from God. Judgment, anger, wrath, malice. No, grace, mercy, and peace. Interesting. I wanted to point that out real heavily because when you look at the ministry Titus is going to be called to, correcting non-believers, setting things straight that are crooked, you think that, you know, all right, then you got a, you got a harsh ministry, but it says, no, this is actually in mercy, right? When I correct a non-believer, when I correct someone that believes the wrong thing, that what they believe will lead them to hell, isn't it merciful for you to say something to them? That's mercy. God says grace. I want you to know about the grace of God. I want to mercy. I'm preaching mercy. When I tell a Jehovah's Witness that you, what you believe is wrong. If you, if you die believing that you're going to hell, that's not mean. Right. That's not I love you. If I tell somebody living in some habitual sin that hey, you die like that and you will go to hell. But Jesus died for you. You could be forgiven. You could be cleansed. You could be set free. You could be right with God. God. God made a provision for you. That's not judgmental. That's not mean. That's merciful. That's me saying, look, I care enough about you that even though this might be an uncomfortable conversation, even though you might not on the surface right up front, you might not appreciate it a whole lot. This might change your life. This might this might change your destination in the positive. That's merciful. Grace, mercy and peace. And the goal of grace and the goal of mercy is that we would have peace with God. Right. The goal of God's grace, giving you what you don't deserve. The goal of God's mercy, not giving you what you do deserve, is that you would be at peace with God. And every single one of us that's right with God today is because of God's grace and his mercy. Right. None of us are right with God because we're doing we're 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 perfect. None of us are right with God because we're doing all the right things. I'm right with God today because God did something for me I don't deserve, grace. And what I did deserve, he didn't give me, mercy. Therefore, I get to have peace with God. I didn't earn it, I received it, and I'm thankful for it. And when you receive a gift, you ought to hold it in a certain kind of humility, uh, right? I can't be proud. I can't say, well, you ought to do what I did. 
Uh, you ought to walk like I, 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 man, you should know who I know. I, I want I want I want you to be introduced to the one that did this for me. His grace, his mercy brought me into this place. It'll bring you into that place as well. And so now look at verse five. It says, for this reason, I left you in Crete that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. And so he tells Titus, Paul does, this is the reason why I left you in Crete, because he doesn't, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, it's all jacked up and I need you to straighten things out, right? When Paul says, I left you there that you might set in order the things that are lacking, the idea, the picture is that everything is messed up, things are not in order, but I want you to come set it in order. Anybody here ever had to do cleanup for somebody else, come into an atmosphere that was not right and you had to do it right? It's difficult, right? Anybody here is a teacher. I, I had the privilege of teaching uh, Bible class uh, at a high school and it all depends on who you come behind. You might come behind a teacher that's doing everything you're supposed to do, giving homework, grading assignments, and the kids are just used to having to do what they're supposed to do. I came in and the teacher that was there before I came in was on their way out. And so they were just kind of like this chilling. And the kids were used to coming to class, eating, throwing papers, you know, watch a video or not, you know, and that was it. So I came in with assignments. They was like, what? Assignment? Homework? They act like I was cussing. You know, I said, all right, guys, Robin, this week you guys going to what? Home, what? Homework? What? That they, it was a hard thing to come and set order where there had been none. It's a difficult thing because who ends up being the bad guy? You do. But you're just doing what they told you to do. Um, and so Titus here, it's a different kind of character, different kind of nature. When God brings you into something that's out of order, well, if you're going to set order, you really got to die to yourself. You can't be someone that loves to be loved. Some people can't serve God because they love to be liked so much. They would rather you like them than you love God. They love to be loved so much by you that even though they know that you're going to hell, even though they know that the behavior that you're exhibiting is destructive, they won't dare say it to you because it might make you mad at them. Even though the lifestyle you're living has you in enmity with God, but they won't say anything because they love to be liked so much. Don't be like that. Don't love yourself so much. Don't love to be liked so much that you won't speak truth and you won't be helpful to people that need it. Every one of us have people in our lives, friends, family. Some people have people that live under their roof right now. They need you to love them with the truth. They need you to point some things out. They need you to be there to lovingly, graciously set some things in order. That's not right. That's not okay. That's not cool. In love, I love you, but that's wrong. You know, um, they need, there's some people that need us to do that for them. And if you won't do it, because I don't want to stir the pot, I don't want to make them mad, they're going to be, they're going to, you know, whatever you're worried about losing, then it kind of diminishes your usefulness to the Lord. Uh, and I hope that all of us here that know the Lord want to be as useful as we can be, right? Some of us have friends that tell you the truth. How's this dress look on me? Terrible. Take it off. You know, and some of you got friends like that. And some of you got friends that I had you going out looking like a, a teddy bear. You know, it's like you just they should have told you something. Everybody seen somebody out and you look at them like you didn't have no friends, no family to tell you that that looked like somebody. Did anybody, does, does no one love you? No one told you you couldn't be out like that. I've seen people out like that. And I wonder, like, does it that have nobody love them? Like, nobody told you that that look you. You shouldn't wear that. You know, you shouldn't have that outfit on or whatever. Um, spiritually speaking, we got people walking around us looking like that spiritually. And you'll look and say, you, you don't know no Christians? You got Christians? In your, nobody told you? That's not okay? They led you to believe that that, that, that was all right? You know, sometimes your silence 
makes people feel like what they're doing is okay. When people come around me and they know I'm a Christian, they know I'm a pastor, they know what I represent. So sometimes if I just don't say nothing, it's like, oh, that must be okay. That's all right. All right. Cool. I got to say something. I don't like to always have to say something. It's not fun. I hate being the guy, but I am the guy, right? This life is not my own. What did Paul say the very first thing? I'm a bond servant. I don't get to do my own thing anymore. I don't lost friends. I don't have friends mad at me, but I loved them. I told them the truth. They come back. You tell somebody the truth. When they finally get it right, they'll come back and say, you know what? I appreciate you telling me the truth. You, you don't tell them the truth and let them make the U-turn some other kind of way. They're going to come back and look at you and say, man, you, 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 why you didn't say something? You know, what's wrong with you? Did, did you not love me? That's how I felt when I got saved. All the people I knew that said they were Christian that didn't say nothing. And that's the majority of people that I knew that were Christians, involved in church, served in church. In my life, the majority of them never said nothing to me about how I was living. And I was living overtly sinful. And then the ones that did say something, I at least could look back and say, well, this person at least said something. They tried. Um, they maybe didn't say it right. Uh, they maybe didn't say it, but they said something. But the majority of people I knew, they waited till I was saved. They waited till it's safe. Oh, you gave me. Oh, praise the Lord. All right. Now, they're part of the cheerleading squad afterwards. Man, get out of here. Okay. I, I, when I can't even celebrate with you right now, you was watching me go to hell and you ain't saying nothing. It's offensive. At that point, when I realized where I was headed, where I was going, it's like, you didn't even try. I mean, at least throw me a bone. Say something. So don't be guilty of that. Don't have people in your life that you that, that, that they would say you haven't even made an attempt. At least make an attempt. At least share the gospel one time. Just tell them. I, I tell people this. I did this with my dad. I said, Dad, because my dad's a real difficult person. I said, Dad, I, I, I got something I believe so strongly. I feel like I'm wrong if I don't share it with you. Can we sit down? I want to just I want you to just hear me out on something. And I'd love to hear what you think about it afterwards. He said, OK. And we sat down and I just laid out the gospel to my dad, explained it to him, put it out there. And then I listened to his response. And we've had many follow up conversations. It's still a work in progress. But I'm not going to be guilty of not having said nothing just because it's difficult or it's uncomfortable. And it is uncomfortable. Um, some people, when it comes to sharing the gospel, they say, well, I'm just looking for the Lord to open a door. What that means is I'm waiting for it to I'm waiting for an opportunity that feels right. You guys know that sometimes it'll never feel right. Right. If your neighbor's house is burning down and you say, I'm, you know, I'm trying to wait until a good hour. You know, it's, it's, it's three in the morning. It'd be it'd be it's not the right time. Do you, do you just would you knock at three o'clock? I hope so. I hope you wouldn't be there saying, I'm, well, I'm waiting for a better hour. Three o'clock is just I hope it doesn't burn down by five, though. You know, um, you going in and just it's, it's necessary. I got to do it now. Um, for some of us waiting on that right opportunity, waiting on the Lord to open a door, the Lord is waiting on you to open your mouth. Don't do that. Don't be waiting for it to feel right. Some, it'll never feel right um, because there's spiritual warfare, because your own flesh is uncomfortable. Um, there are times where I've shared the gospel effectively and it never felt right. I just kicked the door down. I just just went and did it. I've taken my kids out and said, you know, as a challenge, I'll tell my kids that we, we're going to just walk. And you can pick anybody you want and I'll just go up and share. Just trying to prove to them that you can share with anybody at any time. You don't have to wait for the right moment, the right situation. We could be at a mall. We did this at Disneyland. And they're like, just point to somebody. I'm going to just go talk to them. And we had one instance at Disneyland where Harmony pointed out a guy. I walked over to the guy. He was there and I started talking to him. And as I started sharing, he was like, what made you come talk to me? And I said, you were the one the Lord told me to come talk to through my daughter. And, you know, but you're the one he calls his wife over and someone else has been witnessing to them. 
And it was an effective, like, he, on, that, on the spot, that guy felt like, okay, that's confirmation that we need to find. And they asked, they found, they found a church, and we took numbers. I followed up with them. They had found a church where they were living. And I look back and think, that was just, at Disneyland, we interrupted them for five minutes at Disneyland just to go, just, just on a, just a show, like, just to go try, and God used that. And so, I just say all that to say there are people all over the place, friends, family, that God is saying, would you say something? Would you care enough? Would you, as, as Titus is being put in Crete to set things straight, he didn't ask for this difficult ministry. He got left in Corinth that was all tore up. Now you got to go to Crete where the people are, you know, we're going to learn about the people there. This, this is a bad group of people. Um, but God said, I want to use you in a difficult area. I want to use you in a, in a rough place. So for this reason, again, verse five, I left you in Crete that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I command you. And so he's there. One of his jobs is going to be to appoint elders, something that's important within the church. And one of the things that has the church in a really messed up space is the leadership in church structures. Most people that are turned off by church. If I ask you guys, what would be some of the number one things that you've heard people that are turned off the church? What are some of the main complaints that you hear from People that say, oh, I'm not going to church, churches, whatever. They, they all, uh, whatever. What are some of the major complaints that you guys hear in the world? Hypocrites, right? What else? All about the money. They want your money. What else? Judgmental. And, and the sad thing is, all of those are true in some places. Um, I got a pastor, I got a friend that's a pastor of a church, and um, he's trying to, they came out of a denomination that was very legalistic. And as he's trying to kind of work that out of the culture of the church, he said there was a Sunday where there was a woman that he and his wife had been sharing with, praying for, hoping she would come. And she came. She's uh, she had been battling with cancer, didn't know the Lord yet. And she came. And what she wore to church that Sunday was probably what she had. It was she looked like she didn't know the Lord and whatever it was that she wore. And he said that a woman left the choir stand like I mean, she, she saw this woman left the choir stand and went. And whatever she went down and said, that woman left. Never even heard the message. And I'm thinking like, that's where some people, they're legalistic. People have an experience like that and never go back. They're all like that. They're all legalistic. We don't want to be that. Some will say, well, it's all about the money. And that's what you see in some places. Some places you go, um, we try real hard. I mean, we, we try to be balanced in that. Uh, we don't march all around four or five times and I don't make people run hundred dollar lap. Woo! Make you, you know, do, do jumping jacks when you give your money between you and the Lord. But some places, that's what it, it, and so people walk out of there saying, they just, man, they, I had, I gave three times before I even heard a word, you know, I, I want my money back, you know, so uh, you have those things, and, and a lot of these things are true. The hypocrite thing, I, I'm, I'm just going to apologize for everybody, there's no church, every church got some of those, every, every church got some pretenders, um, and it's been said, I guess if you're looking for the perfect church, if you found it, what do they say? Don't join it because it'll be ruined as soon as you do. Uh, just, it, it, there ain't no perfect church. You know, they, they're hypocrites. There's some here. There are people here pretending and hopefully over time they quit pretending. And they, they really do it for real. Um, but I think in, in any place you're going to have those things. This is the deal. With all that being the case, a lot of it starts with the type of leadership that's there. If a church is all about the money, that usually would flow from uh, from the top, from the, the heart of the pastor. Um, if it's if it's very legalistic and harsh, that's going to flow from the, the pastor, the pastors of a church set the tone for what that church is going to be like. Um, is this a legalistic? Is it a harsh? Is it a greedy? Is it a all that? So Paul told Titus, like he told Timothy, hey, there's some 
requirements for the men that you would set up as pastors. And so I want to read through them and I'll go back and, and briefly explain them. But look at listen to these requirements and see how it would weed out a lot of what's wrong in the church already. Starting in verse five. For this reason, I left. Oh, I'm sorry. Verse six. If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination for a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful words as he has been taught that they may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. And so I want you to just listen to the words of the, just the these are the qualifications for a guy that, that, that would be a pastor. And this is how it works. Because you may have a guy that's holding a position as a pastor that doesn't stand up to these things. You should leave. You should not submit to that person as a pastor. You have a choice as a believer to submit anywhere. You can decide where you're going to be in fellowship at. But guys that don't meet up to a biblical criteria, they only get to stay in operation because people don't hold them to that. There are people that, well, I'll stay anyway. I know, I know you have five affairs, but I'm going to stay anyway. It says you got to be the husband of one wife. You don't get to be trade wise. I don't get, I don't, you don't get to have three or four divorces and just keep preaching. They don't work like that, but there are churches that work just like that. The guy be up there cheating on his wife, caught on TV, all over the media, and there still be 5,000 people there saying, hey man, they should all leave and say, you ain't the husband of one wife. <laughs> you, you know, that, that, that's what's supposed to happen. So these are the criteria. First, it says he must be blameless. What does that mean? Uh, it means that you can't accurately stick something. You can't say, oh, we, we saw you doing X, Y, and Z, and it'd be true. Um, that, that, that he's not you're not you're not able to blame him for something accurate. He's blameless. Is he perfect? No, but he's not. He's blameless. And so the idea is these guys that you see got caught on TV, you know, man, we, he got caught with that and with this. And this so he's not blameless no more. Right. We're blaming him for that. And it's a proof. We've proven that he did it. Um, he's no longer qualified. He's disqualified himself. He's not blameless. So pastor should be blameless. Husband of one wife. Can a woman be the husband of one wife? No, just that's just, just extra. That's just for free. You can go back and listen to the study on first Timothy chapter two for roles. Uh, and, but a woman can be the husband of one wife. So a, a pastor is a man, just so you know, for you guys. Don't, I know we have a lot of women pastors. Um, some people say, well, that's that's wrong. That's chauvinistic. That's a uh, that's archaic. That's a that's that's because it was written a long time ago and men were more chauvinistic. Then all that's false. When you go back and read first Timothy chapter two. Paul, in explaining the roles of men and women in the church, explain the role of men and what they were to be like, explain also the role of women. And in doing all that, he got to chapter two and he said, hey, it says that um, I do not permit a woman to teach is verse 12 to teach or to have authority over a man, uh, but to be in silence. And he says for this, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. He goes all the way back to creation. When God made Adam, what did he say when he made Eve? He said he said in Genesis two eighteen. The first thing God made that was not good. He said, I see that man is alone. It is not good that the man should be alone. I'm going to make him a helper. Did he make him a leader? He made him a helper. Someone to come alongside him. Someone to, to be a support to him. Um, that's what a wife was going to be. A support, a companion, to someone that come alongside him. I will make him a helper comparable to him. And God put Adam to sleep, took out his rib, and he formed woman. He brought them together. He performed the first wedding. When they sinned, if you look at how it went down, 
Who did Satan go to? Why he didn't go to Adam? I don't know, that's another question, but he went to Eve. And it says Eve was deceived by the serpent, that she was deceived. I mean, she believed the lies that came to the serpent. And after she believed the lie, because women are cute, and she walked over to her husband, I, I know I wasn't supposed to eat it, but I ate it. It was good. We had some too. And Adam was like, okay, and he ate it. Um, when you look at the fall of humanity, who led Adam into sin? The, the original sin, how did Adam do it? He was led by who? Led by his wife into it. And so God goes all the way back to creation and said, at the, when he punished Adam and Eve, right? He told Adam, because of what you did, right? There's going to be work is going to be hard. You're going to work by the sweat of your brow. There's going to be thorns and thistles and difficulty. But to you, Eve, he said, there'll be, change, there'll be pain in childbirth, which always blows me away because apparently there was no pain. Apparently before the fall, women could have just had kids like, you know, just just went on, ran a lap afterwards. You know, uh, it must have been painless, you know, but now there's going to be pain in childbirth. And so all the, the suffering and women junk y'all got to go through Eve. But then he said this. He said, your desire will be for your husband, but he shall rule over you. And it doesn't mean you're going to want him. It means you're going to want to run his life. And every wife in your fallen nature, you want to run your husband. And y'all got lots of tools to do it with. I won't go there, but y'all got tools. Y'all got things that y'all can use. And so God said, that's part of your fallen nature. So, you know, now I don't recommend that the men do this. um, But I had heard someone say that whenever his wife tries to lead him, he calls her Eve. I don't recommend it. any of y'all do. I don't want y'all in counseling next week. Uh, don't ever call your wife another name. <laughs> ever, 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 never. Uh, but women, you should know that that's part of your fallen nature. And so when you feel like you want to do that, you should recognize that that's, that's not the Lord lead. That's not how I got here. But back to what he said in Timothy, he said, God goes all the way back to his original intent and said, for that reason, right, a woman's not going to lead a man. Um, and he says, but women, you'll be saved in childbearing. Where is a woman going to have authority? Where is she going to be authoritative teacher to her children? And so you want to be a, you want to be an authority. You want to teach God to do it at home. And then we'll see as we get to Titus chapter two, that God has called women to teach other women. Um, next week, we'll look at that, how the older women are supposed to teach a younger woman how to love their husbands. And so there is a place for women to teach and serve, but they're just not going to teach and oversee men. And so the husband of one wife uh, back to Titus uh, chapter one. Um, so he's blameless, the husband of one wife. So again, a pastor is not a guy that's sleeping around and he's got a, bat, a track record of being a player. That doesn't work. Having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination. The ideal here is that a, a pastor is first a pastor at home, right? I pastor the church here, but my responsibility begins at home. I'm only qualified to be here as I'm fulfilling my ministry at home. I have a ministry at home to my wife first. Uh, my, the ministry goes like this. First is my relationship with the Lord. Then is my relationship with my wife. Then is my relationship with my children. As, as those things are in order, as an overflow of those things, I'm, I'm, I'm able to serve in this way. I'm able to serve in a church. If I'm jacking up in my marriage, I need to go home and work on that. I'm not able to minister to my own kids. If I'm not able to, to, and it doesn't mean your kids are, if a pastor can't have kids that are not saved, um, because everybody has a choice. But it says insubordinate. That means that my kids are not disciplined. You could be a non-believer and have your kids in check. Boy, I said, put that down. I mean, that's just, that's, that's, just, it's insubordination means your kids, you say, hey, I said, stop it. No, that means that you're not ruling home. So if you can't deal with your own kids who have your blood running through their veins and they're younger than you, then you ain't going to be able to make it at church. When you got grown folk looking at you saying, man, you know, I, I disagree. You know, you ain't going to be able to deal with that if you can't deal with that at home. It's a qualifying uh, thing. So 
And that's just for every man here in general. We want to be ministering at home. Want to have our kids. How do you get your kids in order? You just have discipline in, in place. You've been listening to A Transforming Word. Today's message from the book of Titus is available on our website, along with other teachings from God's Word. Just visit calvaryinglewood.org and click on media, or you can download our mobile app to take Pastor Bill's messages on the go and keep in touch with Calvary Chapel Inglewood. You'll find a link on our website, or just search for Calvary Chapel Inglewood in your app store. We'd love for you to join us for church this weekend, too. We meet at 9 and 11 a.m. on Sundays to spend time together praising the Lord and learning from His Word. We always enjoy meeting new people. And be sure to let us know you've been listening to A Transforming Word. You also can join us virtually on YouTube Live. Just visit our website to get all the information you need. Again, that's CalvaryEnglewood.org. You can also text us for more information at 310-245-4811. How can we be praying for you during this study in Titus? We're honored to do that for you. Just let us know when by calling or texting 310-245-4811. Before we go today, we'd like to take a moment and invite you to be a part of what we're doing here at A Transforming Word. Would you prayerfully consider becoming a financial partner of this ministry? If you feel like God is leading you to support us this way, you can give securely at calvaryinglewood.org or through our mobile app. Thanks for praying about this, and thanks for tuning in to A Transforming Word.